Dear Tim and family, I can't begin to tell you how happy and moved I was in receiving your letters in late September. I couldn't sleep that whole first night thinking about you and framing my letters back to you. I read your letters often to inspire me through some of my more difficult times. I waited until now to write back so that I could unequivocally tell you that I am doing very well. That's Dan Alexander. He's reading a letter to a family he's never met, but he will meet them today. Dan and his wife Jody have been anticipating meeting the Claussons since receiving letters from them almost seven months ago. Did you want some coffee? Yeah, please. Okay. Thank you. Can do scrambled eggs? No, I thought I'd do French toast. How'd you sleep last night? Oh, I slept good for about four hours. <laughs> this uh, the Clausen's coming has kind of got my my heart going. Mm-hmm. I understand. I understand. I've been thinking a lot about that. Yeah, I just I can't wait to see him. It's, such a journey. Welcome to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. Dan will finally get to meet the Clausens, the family he's been corresponding with through letters for about seven months. Meanwhile, Tim and Diana Clausen are getting ready to head from their home in Indianapolis, Indiana, to Dan and Jody's home in Omaha, Nebraska. Were you able to get those shirts for Dan? Yes. Okay. I did. All right. There you go. Let me keep that for you. Yep, thanks. Racing is a family thing for the Claussons. Tim Clausen raced cars growing up. Tim and Diana's oldest child, Brian, was born in 1989. Their second child, Taylor, came along four years later. Brian fell in love with racing from an early age because of his dad. He started racing when he was five years old. Diana remembers when Brian was a kid at the racetrack. He would be in his own little world up in the grandstands. Then he'd go down in the pits later in the night and tell his dad what he did wrong and what he did right. And <laughs> He didn't appreciate that in front of his sponsors, but... <laughs> He uh, definitely was a student of watching the sport, and he just had a passion for it from day one. A lot of the memories that I still have of of racing, you know, the best ones are just when we were there together. I remember taking road trips with just my dad and my brother, and um, we would just sing country songs driving down the road, and those were the best times. As the years passed, Brian's involvement with racing would only grow. He was always um, a student that if he was good at something, um, he was done. He wanted to go to the next level because he always, you know, he didn't want to sit there and be the hero of, you know, one small piece of the racing, you know, uh, ladder. And um, he would always say, okay, Dad, we've won every week now for a couple months. Let's, let's, what's next? How he treated people. Um, he would stop on a dime to talk to a family or, or talk to kids. Um, he could be 
you know, pissed at the world for not winning, um, but yet be able to smile and go congratulate a friend of his that just, that just did. Uh, you know, I admired that about him. In August of 2010, Brian would meet his eventual fiancée, Lauren, at the racetrack. Her family was in merchandise, and she, too, grew up around the tracks. Lauren remembers the time they spent together around the sport. Those long trips overnight when we're drinking Mountain Dew to stay awake and listening to Garth Brooks on the radio and, you know, singing as loud as we can to one another, me, Brian, and the pups, that's, that's my favorite memory I have now. Um, there are some races that he won that I knew were very important races to him. And so being next to him in victory lane and enjoying the moment, that's, that's really special. By the time Brian was 27, he was considered one of the best dirt track racers in the country. In 2016, he set out to accomplish Chasing 200, an ambitious quest to run 200 events in a single year, basically four races every week across multiple series, including IndyCar's biggest stage, the Indianapolis 500. 2016 would mark the third time that Brian started in the Indy 500. He made his Indy debut back in 2012 and raced again in 2015, but he didn't finish either race. 2016 would be different. Coming from the world where he comes from, um, dirt track racing, you're not as, you don't get the opportunities that, that a lot of these guys do. Getting to stand on the starting grid with him and watching the flyover and just the history behind that race especially. Um, it, was, it was the moment where I realized that my brother had made it. And to watch him succeed at doing that was my proudest moment by far of him as his sister. Brian led the race for three laps and finished 23rd. Indy would always be a highlight of his career, but Brian's heart was at the dirt track. It's why every August he raced in one of its premier events in Kansas, the Belleville Midget Nationals. Brian had won the race in 2009, 2010, and 2015. He is one of only two drivers to win the soon-to-be 40-year-old event three times. We're at Belleville for the weekend, chasing our fourth Belleville Nationals. Inside of row number five, he's out of Noblesville, Indiana, number 63, defending Belleville Midget Nationals champion, Brian Clausen. When you won Belleville, um, it separated you from from the others. Um, you know, you if you won at that place, uh, you, you were known as a pretty, you know, excuse me, but a pretty badass race car driver. Um, so Belleville was always very important to him. Brian set his sights on winning his fourth midget racing at Belleville Nationals. Belleville High Banks bills itself as the world's fastest half-mile dirt track. It has a reputation for being dangerous, as there aren't many straightaways. It's pretty much all turns. It's also pretty steep, hence the name High Banks, with the banks reaching 18 feet at some spots. He was driving like I've never seen him before. He was taking chances. Like I said, he was always a student of the sport, very cautious at what position he would put himself in, and he was putting himself in some pretty 
precarious situations that night. And I was, I looked at the person that was sitting next to me. I'm like, oh my God, like he's super fast. That night, um, it was just amazing. He went from, you know, ninth to leading it um, in 13 laps. Um, and it was almost like he had this purpose to, to get to the lead. And I remember a guy standing next to me and he's like, you know, number one, you don't do that here. Number two, that's not Brian. Brian's the most methodical driver ever. And, uh, and here he is just putting on the show that's, that hasn't been seen. Lauren took her eyes off the track for just a moment to text her dad that Brian had taken the lead in lap 14. I put my phone down on my right side and I glanced down at my phone to make sure the text had sent to my dad and out of the corner of my left eye, I saw a car crashing. And um, before I even had a clear view of it, I knew it was Brian. Diana was watching from the stands with Lauren when the crash happened. Tim was in the pits. He was lapping a car and kind of got squeezed up into the fence and he flipped. And I remember watching that part. Um, and I think the car kind of went out of my sight line, but you know, it wasn't a vicious flipper. Um, and, and again, I don't know if I turned around or, or I just blacked it out, um, but I do remember hearing the, you know, the crash. Um, and it was the loudest explosion type. And, I, and I, you know, I think I knew at that moment that it wasn't gonna be good. Brian's car flipped in turn four on the outside of the track. His car started going back across the track away from the fence when another car collided with him. It was the worst way you ever want to be hit in a race car. Um, he was upside down and a car drove through him. And I knew it wasn't good. But I had to run down there, check it all out. And I just remember Tim yelling really loud, you know, get the ambulance over here. And just the fear in his eyes, I'll never forget that look in his face. It was desperation for help. One of the officials came over and grabbed me and, you know, got me and die. And um, I think he, I think he knew what was going on and, uh, you know, grabbed us and we got in prayer and, you know, waited for him to get out and get him, get him to the hospital. I do remember him opening up his eyes and, and staring right at me. Um, and, you know, for a moment I thought, okay, he's going to be all right. We'll be right back. I would like to share a little bit about myself. I don't want this letter to be about me, but I think you have a right to know. I was career army. I had to be able to make friends fast because we were always moving from one station to another. 
one unit to another. It seemed like everybody was moving all the time. In order to trust someone with your life, you had to get to know them fast. I always loved when things were going 100 miles an hour. The adrenaline was really flowing. I suppose that's why I learned how to jump out of airplanes and chase tanks around a battlefield and never regret a moment of it. Dan Alexander is a 63-year-old Army veteran who served in Kuwait and Desert Storm. He has five children and is married to his wife, Jody. For the longest time, I always thought I was invincible, uh, immortal. Um, That carried over into the Army, certainly. Um, But uh, no, I I always felt that uh, if I worked hard enough... Um, that I could achieve whatever physical goals that I set for myself. Um, So I always enjoyed the challenge. Um, And I never assumed that I was going to win, but I, I never gave up either. Back in Belleville, the Claussen family waited. I knew he was hurt. I knew it wasn't good. But I never thought that at one, at that point, I never thought he was gone. Not one time did I think that. Brian was airlifted to a trauma center in Lincoln, Nebraska. His heart stopped twice on the transport. The Claussons would make the two-hour drive from Belleville to Lincoln. They arrived around 1.30 in the morning and waited to hear from the doctors. Lauren, his fiance, remembers. And the nurse said, okay, the doctor's going to come out and talk to you. And he, he can be very abrupt. She said, so prepare yourself for that. And she said, but he's going to give you the facts and not sugarcoat it. Brian's trauma doctor, he stepped forward and he said, Brian has a very serious brain injury. The chances of recovery, none. And at that point, my memory kind of stops. My world kind of went black. Not real. Um, you know, at that time, it's, you know, it's four or five in the morning, and um, you don't want it to be true. And again, you know, at the, at the moment, it's hard to process everything. And it's hard to process. I can't even look back and say, this is what I was feeling, because I was numb. It's just devastation. You know, everything that you work towards, making sure that your kids are okay. Just, you know, knowing that you're not going to see them again. Just breaks your heart as a mother, and um, I felt like things kind of froze in time a little bit. I just, you know, I was just kept saying, I just can't believe it. I just don't think this is happening to us, and I just couldn't, couldn't stop thinking that, you know, maybe I'm gonna wake up from this bad dream. Brian's sister, Taylor, felt a different emotion. I was angry. 
I wasn't angry at anybody in particular. I was just angry at the situation, you know. He was going to get married. He was going to have kids. He was going to be an uncle. You know, my baby boy was supposed to have an uncle. And now he doesn't. And so why does that happen? Why is such a good person put in that situation? And it was to save other people's lives. We found out shortly after that, um, you know, probably a few hours, that, that he was an organ donor. It gave me just that glimmer of light that, okay, well, you, you, know, yeah, you know, I traded all to have him back, but at least it's not all for naught. You know, it's at least, you know, there's, there's some good that, that uh, may come out of this. Typically, the donation process can take anywhere from one to three days. Brian's took three. Tim recalls that after the family took the final step to support Brian's donation decision, they were asked if they wanted to go see him. And I said, no, absolutely not. I remember the last time I saw him before he went on the racetrack, and that's how I wanted to remember. Um, my wife, God bless her, um, uh, she said, no, I'm going in to see, see my baby. Tim eventually did go in. During those three days, the family shared stories about Brian and gave apologies. They cried, they laughed, they sang songs. They reflected on who Brian was. Nothing was left unsaid. Taylor says the extra time allowed the Clausens to reflect on Brian's life. We sat there for the next 72 hours and, and I was able to hold his hand and tell him things that, you know, I wanted to tell him. And although, to some extent, it was not the same as, you know, telling him I loved him before a race or giving him that fist bump, it was still comforting to know that, you know, I was with him, you know, in those final moments. Just give us that last little goodbye versus him just going away on Sunday and never being able to do that last final goodbye, it really saved our family in the whole grieving process. It was very healing. My first reaction was no way. And when I was done with that whole process, I thought I would have never been able to do all of this without it. Tim says he will never forget the moment when his family was told they had found placement for Brian's organs. And they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to start with the heart, and the whole team was in there, and uh, they were like, you know, the hearts, the mo one of the most healthiest hearts we've ever seen. Um, and there was, a, <laughs> there was almost like a mini celebration, as strange as it sounds. The family listened to Brian's heart for the last time and the medical staff got Brian ready for surgery and rolled him out into the hallway. There, Lauren said her final goodbye. I uh, went over to Brian and I leaned forward and I kissed him and I held his hand and I said, I love you forever, forever plus a day. And then they took him. Brian Clausen died on August 7, 2016. His organs saved five lives. Brian's heart, lungs, kidneys, and liver all went to recipients. 
I don't know that it was a stroke of luck that you found Brian's donor's card so much as it was an act of God that Brian's last gift of life was to me and others. When Brian passed away, Dan learned that he would be getting a new heart. You may find it surprising, but I began praying for you and Brian over three years ago while I was still unconscious, having suffered a massive heart attack. During that period of time, I received a very clear spiritual message that I would someday get a new heart. I never felt the need to pray for a new heart, but I always felt the need to pray for the donor family and the donor. The Clausens decided to write letters to the donor recipients a month after Brian passed away. Dear Tim and family, I can't begin to tell you how happy and moved I was in receiving your letters in late September. They were part of my healing process. The Clausens received a letter that a 63-year-old man named Dan had received Brian's heart. The two families began exchanging letters. Each one of you described a very warm, loving, and active man who was an inspiration to all. Having three sons and two daughters of my own, I can't fathom the pain and suffering that you have gone through. In the Army, we always felt that the soldiers we lost in combat were the real heroes. No greater love does a man have than he laid down his life for a friend. <clears throat> Brian is now my hero. Next on SC Featured, part two of this story. We as a family would love to meet you. As a mom, I'm probably the most excited about it. You know, just, just to be able to hopefully be able to hear his heartbeat again will be, you know, something that thinks that will be really, really special.